0: You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. Well, I'm Steve Poole, the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries here at Cedar Hills, and I get to share the Word with you. We are going to be continuing our series on the books of of Peter. So we're in 1 Peter Chapter 1, we'll be reading later, 13 through 25. So if you've got your devices or your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning there. We'll be reading that in just a moment. I've got a question to start out with. Uh, has anybody here ever, when you're like doing the dishes or clearing the table, ever dropped a dish? A few people. And, and sometimes they break, sometimes they don't. Um, I'm notorious in my family for dropping my phone. That's why I have the biggest, thickest possible <laughs> cover on this thing, so that when I drop it, it doesn't break. Um, we're going to talk about broken pottery here for a minute with an illustration. Um, our uh, theme for today is discovering your new life, or discovering your life in Christ. And um I came across this when I was watching PBS a couple years ago. They had a kind of an art showcase thing, and, and it's called... Uh, Kintsugi art. And in this, they take, there's gonna be some pictures up here, and hopefully online you'll be able to see these pictures as well. Kintsugi art. They take broken pottery, and they make it new. They re- make it and um, usually this is pottery that was maybe a family heirloom something that means a lot to the family and they invest in having an artist take it and make it even better than before this new pottery is worth more it's more beautiful than ever um, and i think this is so much like our lives just like this pottery the bible says that we are broken you can watch the news and see that we live in a broken world. The Bible's answer, why our world is so broken, is sin. That when humanity chose sin over obedience to God, consequences happen. And the consequences are the things we still feel today. And we see it in the news and we see it in our own lives when we sin. And we have these these broken lives and what do we do with it? We take them to the master artist. The King of kings and Lord of lords who's even better than these artists. It's restoring broken things and making them even more beautiful. I watched a video on this um, to prepare for this and I learned something else about these. The lacquer they use to put the the pottery back together is actually made from the sap of a tree. And the artist has this tree and as they collect the sap, often that tree dies. That tree gives up its own lifeblood, its own sap. Just like as we'll read today in First Peter we are saved. We have this new life because Jesus Christ shed His blood. The blood and the sap are analogous in this story. They are what allows this new life to happen, this transformation to occur. And we see in Peter's own life, Peter, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, I shared a bit of the story of Peter. And he was following Jesus, but he betrayed Jesus. He denied that he even knew Him three times in one night. And he felt terrible, and God restored him and called him to a new life. And so when Peter shares about being a broken person, we know from his own experience that he is a broken man, only made new by the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and His resurrection. So let's go ahead and in light of all that, let's read First Peter uh chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. I always like to read the Scripture. It gives you kind of the whole context, the breadth of the little things we're going to highlight and helps you see the broad, big picture of what's going on here. So verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, Do not be conformed to the passions of former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you are holy, for I am holy. And if you call him Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with imperishable blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish and spot. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he is made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Another, uh, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, you, uh, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For it is written, all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. But, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. May God bless the reading of his word. As we get started today, the first word here in this section that we're checking out is therefore. And you need to know if you haven't already that therefore is a transitional statement. It's kind of like the cause, the effect, the if, then statement often used in scripture. So we always must go back and say, why is the therefore? Or what is the therefore? Therefore, (laughs) right? So let's review what we what we learned in verses one through twelve. I'm going to re- and quote a couple of things here, but we learned that um, that we have this living hope in Christ Jesus, received as an imperishable herita- inheritance, according to His great mercy, when He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection in Christ Jesus. That's in verses three and four. So that's what the therefore is there for. Because of this great mercy, this imperishable inheritance that we've received, what ought we do? What's the then? I think if you read the first verses here, you see we ought to lay aside our former passions and we should be holy as He is holy or be holy in all your conduct. Wow, wow, what a call, right? Peter's saying, be holy in all of your conduct. And if you're like me, does anybody here feel a little inadequate at that at that statement? We've talked about previously the idea of ostriching, right? You bury your head in the sand. Well, this is a type of verse that makes me want to ostrich, makes me want to bury my head in the sand because I'm not worthy of this call. I'm not worthy of him saying, Be holy, for I am holy. So, what do we do with this type of call in Scripture? How do we deal with it? That's what we're going to talk about a bit today. First, I think there's two truths that are playing here in the scripture. You'll see them in your notes or on the screen. I think it's clear from 1 Peter that God does not cheapen his grace by making it conditional to our actions. Let me say it again. God does not cheapen his grace by making it conditional to our actions. It's an imperishable inheritance that you and I receive just because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. If we believe in Him, if we put our faith in Him, we are adopted into His family. And just like you receive inheritance because of who your Father is, we receive our inheritance because of who our spiritual Father is. It's not conditional on our actions. So everything he talks about being holy is not a condition of you be holy and then you'll receive this forgiveness. That's not the order we see here. It's you have been forgiven, so now you're free. Go and be holy, for I am holy. And two, that's the other side of it. God does not cheapen his grace by compromising his standards. God doesn't say, well, I love all people, so I'm going to compromise my standards and let some not-holy people in to heaven. God cannot do that, and he will not do that. Because he is holy, it would go against his very character. He cannot, he will not compromise his standards. And that's good, because it actually means that the sacrifice of Christ is worth even more, right? It would cheapen the sacrifice of Jesus if he were to now compromise and say, well, you're kind of good enough, right? No, We hold on to the sufficiency of grace and we hold on to this call for holy living because that's His standard. We hold on to both these things and strive to follow Jesus. I think... One of the the tricks, Satan, it says, is the father of lies, so he likes to deceive us. And often it's not by some harebrained scheme that's away far from Scripture, it's something close to Scripture. I think one of the ways he deceives the church today is with false teachers who say the grace is, is, is it. They just say, well, believe in the grace and leave out the call to holiness. I think these things in Scripture are clearly linked together. It's the the impetus, the thing that causes us to be holy is what Jesus has done. is sufficient for us, but you can't have the one without the other. We ought to then strive for holiness. I think the other side is true as well. There are people in this room, probably people like me when I was first a Christian, who we try to hold on to earning God's favor, right? We're like, if I can just be good enough, God will love me more. God will, I will feel, you know, I, I will have more of that blessing, God will love me more. And, and in either of these, I think we, we worship the wrong thing. In one, we worship our rules. We make our lives about following God's rules and we worship the law. And in the other, we worship our freedom. We say our freedom is actually bigger than Jesus. We say because God gave us this freedom, we're worshiping it when we express it too greatly. We don't lean into this call for holy living. So I think we need to hold on to both of these things tightly. One construct that Christianity has used to help us understand this is two words, justification and sanctification. So if you haven't heard these before, we're going to define them. They'll be in your notes on the screen. Justification refers to God's declaration that someone is determined to be righteous in his sight. This justification is a one-time act whereby God declares a sinner uh, that you... A sinner like you and me to be not guilty and perfectly righteous before his justice. I always think uh, justification and justice. Just like you go before a judge and he says this is your consequence and once you've paid it, you're free to go, right? Your your guilt has been paid. Your debt to society has been paid. That's what justification is. Our sin debt has been paid. And it happens when we believe in Jesus Christ and His blood pays the price for our sins and we're covered by His blood and we receive His righteousness. That's justification. But sanctification is different. On the other hand, that is the continual process of being made more holy. It is the progressive conformity of one who has has been justified into the image of the Savior through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God in us, the Holy Spirit living in us, conforming us, more and more to Christ's likeness. That's what sanctification is. So I believe here, and Peter is saying, we have justification in Christ Jesus, and we ought to live a life defined by sanctification, a striving to be holy as He is holy, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, giving us the strength to do this. Now, how has the church handled some of these issues historically? I went and looked at the Heidelberg Catechism. So it has a question in there. This is from the Lord's Day 32. Question and answer 86. If you want to go look it up later, Uh, you can do so at the Reformed Church website. Look at the the, the Heidelberg Catechism. You'll find it there. Um, but I think they do a really good job of balancing this tension between these two things in the life of a Christian. The question is this. What we have been deli- uh, since, (laughs) since we have been delivered from our misery by the grace of Christ without merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Right? If the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient, His righteousness has covered us, we can live however we want, right? Why live, why do good works? And I think the answer is very telling and very biblical. Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, is also restoring us by His Spirit into His image. Just like the potter takes the broken pottery and uses uh, you and puts it back together and makes it into something new. That's the process of sanctification we see here. The Spirit is restoring us into His image, so that our whole lives may show that we are thankful to God for His benefits, so that we may be pra- so He may be praised through us, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruit, and so that the, our godly living to our might be a witness to our neighbors, and they might be won over for Christ. There's some key things here, right? Our sanctification, it glorifies God. Just like when you look at that Kintsugi pottery and you look at how beautiful it is and you say the artist made this new and did a good job. When people look at our Christian lives, they should look and see how you've been transformed just like that pottery and give the glory to the artist, the great artist. And we can be a witness to our neighbors who ask questions of of what's new, what's different in your life and you can share your faith or even the fruits, as you bear fruit, as God transforms you. You know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Um, those fruit of the Spirit. The more you see that, the more evidence you can say, "I know I am saved. I have believed, and I see fruit in my life." If you're really a nerd for all this stuff, look up the Belgic Confessions, Articles 23 and 24. They talk about um, about sanctification and justification as well. I think in that answer, though, they've so well managed the tension here between Jesus' holiness and call to holy living and also the complete sufficiency of His grace and His sacrifice on our behalf. One of my personal favorite verses is Romans 6, 1 and 2 that has to deal with this topic. It says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? By no means. How can we who are dead to sin still live in it? So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the beautiful truth of the new life we have. We're no longer defined by our past. We're no longer defined by our past sins and mistakes. But we live this new life, one where we can say, I'm no longer that sinner. It doesn't have a grip on me anymore. And brothers and sisters, we are freed to love as God loves. We're freed to offer um, forgiveness, radical forgiveness, as Jesus has offered forgiveness to us. We're freed to show hospitality to everyone as Jesus did. And we're freed to share stories of redemption and hope because we're broken pottery that has been made new. And I think this is the call we see here in 1 Peter for us as Christians. I want to share a couple new life passages. If you've been around, you've probably heard this one quoted. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it might be like the key new life passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Just like that pottery. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I want to just get something else out there that might be attention as you hear these words. Okay, I'm a new creation, Steve, right? But I hear I'm a new creation on this side. But when I leave church and I go home, I still feel like I want to sin. I still struggle with temptation and I still make mistakes. How do I balance this this truth that I am a new creation with this reality that I still live with sin in my life? I think one of the ways the Bible talks about this is our flesh, our bodies, has not been made new, right? When you believe in Jesus Christ, he doesn't give you a new physical body. That doesn't happen yet. That happens at Christ's return, second coming. But right now, you live in a a body that's still corrupted by sin, like we talked about in the beginning. So you have this flesh that is urging to sin, but you've got the spiritual reality that says, I'm a new creation that's no longer me. So you have this war waging between you. Paul talks about it beautifully in Romans, this war and this battle going on. And so he calls us to do things like die to ourself and crucify the flesh so we might be more like Christ. Another way this call is talked about that's similar to 1 Peter is in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Some of my favorite verses as well. I'd appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you go back to 1 Peter 13, it talked about girding your mind and not being conformed to that old pattern, right? Uh, That's kind of the same language we see here. And why do we do it? It's our spiritual act of worship to present our bodies and say, God, it's no longer mine, but it's yours. This life is no longer mine to live, but it's you living in me. It's you living through me by the power of the Holy Spirit, accomplished through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His blood. My personal testimony, I can also see this truth played out as well. For many years after I started to take my Christianity seriously, I lived kind of miserably because I was in this cycle of sin and shame. Probably one of the reasons why I didn't look into ministry earlier in my life And college, and kind of changed to that type of track, was probably because I felt inadequate. Like, God couldn't use me because I was too broken, because I was still living out this sinful shame cycle. I would sin, I would confess and feel really bad about it, but I'd go back to that same sin. I was addicted to pornography and masturbation. And I want to share a little about my story. I memorized John 6, 1 and 2. Right? No, not John. Romans 6, 1 and 2. The one I shared earlier. How then shall those who are dead to sin still live in it? And I claimed that and I learned to take my thoughts captive. When my thoughts would go to certain images and down a certain path, I would repeat that verse to myself and I would say, I'm no longer that person. How shall we who are dead to sin still live in it? And I got accountability. People would ask me the hard questions on a regular basis and I knew I'd have to answer for my actions. Because I will answer for my actions in front of the one true God one day. And I grew in my faith. I was studying the Word. I was in prayer. And all these things, as as God became more in my life, those temptations became less. As I learned to take my thoughts captive, I had great victory. And and, and now I still struggle with the temptations, but I, I fight from the high ground, from a place of victory instead of a place of defeat and shame. And that's made all the difference in my life. So for some of you here, you need to know that you don't need to live a life of shame. That Jesus says, I love you like that broken pottery. And I've got a new life for you. You don't have to be defined by those things anymore. But you can claim these promises. You can seek and you can offer your lives as a living sacrifice. And His Spirit will help transform you. I'm not the man I was when I was 20. (laughs) Thank God. And I'm grateful for the journey He has me on and where He's taken me. And one day... The new heaven and the new earth will all have new bodies and we won't have to fight that battle anymore. We can worship God with our whole self. So I want to finish today with asking you the question, so what's your there for? Because in light of all this truth we've just talked about, the sufficiency of, of God's grace and His call to holy living, what's your there for? How should you and I live? And it can be very personal, but here's a couple things that stuck out to me. And I listened to the Spirit invite Him to reveal these things to your life. But the first thing I have is this. There's, there might be people in this room who, this is the first time you've understood how salvation works, that you can believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. You can be saved from your sin. It doesn't depend on how good you are. You cannot earn it and you will not earn it. You you receive it as an inheritance because you believe and you've been adopted into God's family. And if you're here today and you want to know more about that, I'd, I invite you to come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Kent, one of the other uh, staff here, or a friend or a parent, a loved one who you know has has a relationship and they'd love to talk to you more about that. Pray with you about, about, about that. It's, it's so simple. You just believe and you receive. Two, maybe you're here today and you're living in a cycle of guilt and shame. And you're struggling to believe you're a new creation. You're struggling to see that that's the truth of Scripture but it doesn't fit with your reality. I'd pray that first, if you're... In these sins, I pray that you seek accountability. Confess those sins to a brother or a sister. The Bible talks about that. Getting your sin out in the open, like when you take a wound and you let it get air, it doesn't fester anymore. It cleans it out. Confession is a part of that. But also, seek God every day and offer your life as a living sacrifice. Because the more you draw near to Him, the more the counterfeits will look counterfeit. The more the the sin will lose its grip on you and, and just claim the fact that no matter how it feels, if you have believed, you are a child of God and you are made new, just like that beautiful pottery. Maybe you're here today and you've those two things have been a part of your life, but you just kinda of feel like you've wandered off a little bit. Maybe something's stirring in you now, you're like, I'm getting it. I'm being, the gospel's meaning more, I'm more excited about it. And maybe you've lost that first love as the Bible talks about. I'd pray that if you're kind of feeling like you you've just you haven't really been living that, that, that holy life. You're, you haven't had that, exa- that example in your life lately that you'd confess and you'd seek God's renewal of, for, through the Spirit. It says, if you seek Him first, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Just seek God's will first. Seek God first in your life, and, and, and these other things will be added to you. And last, I kind of want to finish with this quote. I think it really describes well. It's from the Gospel Transformation Bible. It's one of the Bibles I read in preparation for this. It just really summarizes this so well. If you take nothing away, this would be a great application quote. This is the rhythm of Christian living. Having been redeemed, we are freed to live a life of glad obedience. This is our true joy. Having been loved so well, our delight is to love in return. We are not loved because we obey. We obey because we have love. We are loved, knowing that you were ransomed. Let's pray, God, I thank you so much for the truth of your scripture. I thank you that we can all stand firm in this promise that we are loved by You, and if we just believe in Jesus Christ, that He came and He died on the cross and He rose again, we put our faith and trust in You, God, that we can have this this inheritance, this incredible inheritance that lasts forever. Incorruptible, God. It's not based on what we do. Like so many other religions and even other churches in America will preach, it's not about what we do, but it's about what You've done. And as we stand firm in what you've done, we are also called then out of love and obedience to joyfully serve you, to joyfully strive to be holy, to joyfully seek out sanctification in our life, to be transformed more in your image, to offer ourselves each morning as a living sacrifice and say, God, I don't live for myself. I live for you because you died for me. I'll live for you, God. And I pray that that would be true about each and every one of us here, and that if there's people living in a cycle of sin and shame, that You would help us to seek others, seek accountability, and also just seek You, God. Because the power of transformation, the power of being made new, of this new life, doesn't come from just trying hard or, or a five-step plan. The power comes by the Holy Spirit. God incarnating us, God living in us and giving us the strength to live for You. You, Jesus, when He went and ascended to heaven, He said, it's good that I depart so that the Spirit can come, that the Helper may come, God. It's so much better that we have You living in us even than have Jesus beside us. Father, I just, uh, just pray that You would help us to live for You this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.